0: Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter ten. Last week, we wrapped up Chapter Nine, and uh, we noticed something that at least I had never seen before, and i I think we could wrap it up by saying this: every day of jesus ministry life, every single day of jesus 's ministry life was filled with interruptions. They just were. We noticed this in chapter nine because to me, it just jumped off the pages because maybe for the first time ever, I just read chapter nine all the way through. And you're like, he can't get even a sermon out. But somebody is interrupting him. I mean, Jesus, so in chapter nine, let me just, for those of you that are visiting, let me catch you up. In, in chapter nine, Jesus is sitting down. He's already called a tax collector, a sinner, like the worst of the sinners in that culture. Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus says, I want you. To follow me, which is good news for all of us, right? Because he takes the worst of the worst. He calls us to himself and he, he calls Matthew to be his disciple. And then that night, and as if the rest of the disciples weren't like grossed out enough by that, you're inviting Matthew. He's a tax collector. He, uh, gross. That night, Matthew invited Jesus and all of his disciples over for a house party. And Matthew invited all of his other really vile sinners. And so Jesus and his disciples went to Matthew's house and they're having this party and they're having a great time and then the Pharisees show up, the church people show up and run the party, right? They're, they're outside going, why is Jesus in there eating with such... Horrible sinners, right? And so you have the Pharisees interrupting Jesus' dinner. And then just right into the passage where John's disciples show up and they're questioning Jesus about why him and his disciples aren't fasting like John and his disciples or like the, the Pharisees. And as he's answering that question, Jairus comes barging into it and he's like, hey, would you come to my house? My daughter is dead talking about an interruption, right? You're having a party and you're, you're trying to answer people's questions. And here's this guy just barges in and says, my daughter died and I need you at my house. And so he doesn't even get to the house yet. Well, Jesus is interrupted again by a woman that had an issue of blood she was bleeding constantly for 12 years the scripture says and she touches his hymn and she's interrupting jesus on his way to jairus's house but jesus heals her and then he goes on to jairus's house and he he raises jairus's daughter from the dead and then it says two blind men show up and they start following jesus around and they're mercy have mercy on us son of god and interruption and Jesus heals them. And as they're leaving, it says a demon-possessed man comes in and Jesus heals him. This is just, and then the Pharisees, by the way, show up again in the story and they're mouthing Jesus, they're calling him names, right? That's all just chapter nine. And this week, as I couldn't shake this teaching because I realized this was his entire ministry. Not just Matthew nine, but Matthew one through the cross. The cross, it was all just an interruption. Everywhere Jesus went, his day was interrupted by the famine. I mean, he couldn't even, like, he was barely born and they had to go to Egypt because of an interruption, right? Uh, murder plots, there's sick people, there's diseased people, there's dead people, there, there's storms. Remember the storm from Matthew 8? All of these interruptions. But but not once do we ever see Jesus complaining about the interruptions. You know Why? because the interruptions were his mission. People were his mission. Jesus did his best work. Jesus taught his best lessons in the interruptions. And then Jesus warned his disciples that they would do even greater works than him, which meant their lives would soon become one big interruption. It's part of the gig because people are the mission And people interrupt people's lives. And the question we asked last week was this Is it possible that our daily interruptions are meant to be godly interactions for gospel opportunities? Can I stay with this thought for just a moment before we get into chapter 10? I'm going to anyway. An interruption is an unplanned break in our plans, unplanned break in our plans. It's an unscheduled moment in our day. But there are no unplanned breaks or moments in God's day. There are no unplanned breaks or moments in God's schedule. Everything happens just as God allows it. And the sooner that we understand that as his followers, the less frustrated we will become with interruptions. Because if interruptions are gospel opportunities for God interactions, then every interruption for us has a chance to be a holy interruption. I haven't been able to get that off my mind this week. Holy interruptions. Every unpla- everything that happens that we did not plan is perhaps a moment that God has planned so that you could come face to face with someone who needs a gospel conversation remember this is not a question of why is this happening to me God but rather God where are you at work in the happenings I asked this week on our page did anybody have any interruptions And we got a few we got a few I'd love to hear about those by the way sometime I won't do it right now you're holding a baby I had one as well it went great I won't get into it now, I'll save it for another day. And the question that we must wrestle with as we get into chapter 10, I'm getting there. This is a question that we must wrestle with as disciples of Jesus. How many holy interruptions do we possibly miss week in and week out because we are more frustrated by the unplanned moment in our day than the possibility of a God-planned opportunity? How many moments do we miss complaining because something happened we didn't plan when God had planned for that moment? to be an opportunity for either you to grow in your faith or perhaps, maybe, just maybe, somebody else grow in theirs. I know we've got to move on, but what if we become a family of servant missionaries that fully expected and embraced holy interruptions? What if we just expected them? We we make our plans and then we surrender them to God's plans and we invite Him to interrupt us any way He so chooses for His glory and our good, even though we might not see the glory or the good in the moment. (laughs) Like there's nobody that's going to be sitting on side of the road tomorrow with a flat tire, going, "God, thank you for this holy interruption." But what if? What I thought about this this week, I was on the road a little bit, and while I was going through this holy interruption, man, I am rambling, and I can't do that today. We have a lot to cover. But I just thought, what, if, what if, if I had a flat tire in this moment, I know how I'd react. Why well, me? I don't have time for this. I got to get this. From point A to point B, that's my plan. What if God says, no, 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 it's, it's a different plan. And I'm thinking, well, what if I have to call a tow truck? And then in my mind, I'm like, what if that tow truck driver that day is um, contemplating suicide? What if he's contemplating, what if he's going through a bad marriage and goes, is there any hope for me? And what if my flat tire isn't about my flat tire, but it's about me interacting with someone who needs hope in the gospel? That's different, church. That's a different way of thinking. And my prayer is that we get there as a church, that on Sundays we can stand in that mic and we give testimony of holy interruptions. A moment that you didn't plan, but God planned, he showed up and lives were changed. That's the ministry of Jesus. And then we just wait and watch and see what he does. All right. And by the way, we don't have to pray for holy interruptions. Now, I'm not asking God, give us holy. Listen, they're natural. <laughs> Your plans will be interrupted today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. We don't have to go looking for them or praying for them. They find us. But we must pray that God helps us recognize them and not waste the moments when he gives them. So last week, we learned how to pray as everyday disciples, Right? Even in the interruptions, we pray that God will open our eyes to see people the way he sees them, that he'll open our hearts to have compassion, feel for them the way he feels for them, and to help us better trust him as the Lord over the harvest, that he will send more workers into the field to see and feel as Jesus did and display and to declare his gospel. This week, Jesus starts out chapter 10 by sending out his disciples and reveals what they should expect as they go. Now, this is good news for us. Because as we learn to pray and live every day as his disciples, embracing holy interruptions, we can also learn some things from chapter 10 on realistic expectations. Say realistic. Yeah. Realistic expectations as we live as Jesus lived. In fact, in chapter 10, I see eight. There might be only six. You might find 16. But I observed eight this week, and I want to attempt to cover them all, which means I can't cover any of them very well. We're not going deep here this morning. This is going to give you an opportunity to read further and to study deeper this week if you so choose. But Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So it sounds to me like Jesus was giving his disciples the authority to go and to continue doing what he was already doing. If you've been here for the study of Matthew, you realize everything he just told them to do is what Jesus has been doing. In fact, he goes on in verses 7 and 8. Look down to verses 7 and 8. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus was doing. He says, go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. That's what Jesus was doing and give as freely as you have received. So in other words, just keep doing what you've seen me doing. That's what Jesus is telling them. And then I think Jesus gives them a little gospel rule there, did you get it? Give as you have received, do for others as I have done for you. And how are they to do it? Don't miss this, by the authoritative power of Jesus. That's the first expectation I see here in our passage. We are, we as his disciples, we are being called and commissioned to continue the same work that Jesus started. In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus said, we will do greater works than he did because we are empowered by the same spirit that empowered Jesus. And we have been given authority by Jesus to go in his name, name and continue his great works of displaying and declaring the kingdom of God. But we cannot do the mission of God apart from the spirit of God. We have no authority on our own. We don't change lives. We don't change hearts. We don't heal. We pray and seek the power of the one who does. In verses two and four, two through four, he names his disciples. You can read that later, but look down at verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel. God's lost sheep. Now, this doesn't completely confuse us unless you are not familiar with the New Testament. It doesn't completely confuse us because we know God's bigger plan eventually unfolds throughout the New Testament in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Samaritans. Praise God, that's us. (laughs) But here Jesus had a specific plan to reach a specific group, his people, Israel, the lost sheep. Paul says in Romans 1, first the Jew, then the Gentile, right? So here's my expectation number two I see. We cannot be all things to all people. We cannot serve everybody, but we are all called to serve somebody. Just like the disciples then, God is calling us to specific people. This is why it's important that we identify who are the people that God has placed us around? Who are the people that God is specifically sending us to? Because in my experience, if we don't identify who our people are, then we won't intentionally go at all. As everyday disciples, we should always be looking for the holy interruptions, right? It could come from anyone, it could come from anywhere, but listen, there will be a specific group of people that God calls us to live among, to build relationship with, to listen to their stories, and to love them right where they are. This isn't a come to church to hear about God, this is let's do life together and I will let God reveal himself to you through me, through the way I talk and through the way I walk and through the way I act through the way I marriage, through the way I relate, right? So who are your people? Who are your people? Who is God sending you to? You might not understand the why or the who, but we trust that God's ways are better than ours. Verse nine. Don't take any money in your money belts, Don't take gold, no silver, not even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. You getting that back there, sound crew? This morning I kept saying, I'm gonna give you a blessing now, but I might take it away by the end of the service. I said, that's that's Bible, man, that's Bible. And so that, that's, that's where I got it. If it continues to be a blessing, then you let your blessing stand. If it does not, you take the blessing back, all right? Expectation number three. We cannot depend on our resources alone. Hear this. I believe one of the greatest struggles to our allegiance to God's kingdom will be the temptation to build our own kingdom. We want the big money belts. We want all the gold. We want all the silver. We want all the coins. We want all the walking sticks. We want all the change of clothes, right? We want it all just in case we need it. And then we get into this mentality, well, we can't effectively even do ministry, Unless we have two walking sticks and three pairs of pants or robes or whatever they were. And we can't effectively do this unless we have this big of a budget or this big of a money belt. And Jesus tells his disciples, pack lightly so that they will have to depend on him to provide their daily needs. When is the last time you had to depend on God to provide your? daily needs. Every resource we have is from God and for God. So give as freely as you have received, and God will continue to be a faithful provider of all that we need. I was at a preacher's conference this week, and the man spoke quite a bit on the journal of George Mueller. It'd probably just be a good... Read this week if you wanted to go read some of his testimony of how he had to depend daily. One story, I don't have time for this, all right? <laughs> One story. He, he ran an orphanage. He started an orphan, orphanage with no money. He felt like God called him to start an orphanage. He started an orphanage with no money. One day in his journal, he wrote that they were so broke, they had no food for breakfast. He sets everybody down at the table. No food is prepared because there's no food in the house. And he says, let's pray and thank God for the food. And as they pray, there's a knock at the door from a baker from across town that says, I have lots of bread for you. That is trusting your daily provider to give you your needs. His whole life was that. Go read it sometime, it's a blessing. Verse 14, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Old Testament's bad dudes, bad cities, bad things happen. Jesus says, these cities that are unwelcoming to you and your message, they're gonna be worse off on the day of judgment than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Expectation number four, not everyone, we need to hear this as everyday disciples, not everyone will be welcoming to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just accept that now. It's not you. We take it personal, don't we? Well, I'm not gonna say anything because I'm just not very, it's not your presentation, okay? Okay. Some just will never be open to the gospel. If Jesus didn't convince them all, you're not going to convince them all. So don't stay and debate. Don't stay and try to win the argument. Don't throw the pearls to the pigs, as Jesus says. You shake your dust off your feet and you move on. We must take on the mentality that it's not personal, it's spiritual. It's always spiritual. We are to be faithful in displaying and declaring Jesus and then allow people to accept or reject on their terms and in God's time. But when they are unwelcoming to the gospel, we must move on looking for uh, other people and other opportunities that are open to the gospel so that we can give them the message. We're always looking for people of peace. Not people at peace with God, but people that are just peaceful, not hostile towards God. And those are the people that we get to live among and listen to. And we go to the hostile too, but at some point, at some point, you plant the seed and you got to go. You got to go. Look at verse 16. Look, Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Amen. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware. For you will be handed over to the courts and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues and you will stand trial before, I've never heard this preached on TBN, by the way. And you will be, and you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your? To tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me when you are arrested. Man, I had a thought about this last night. See, we always want to invite people into our place Come to church, and Jesus, sometimes I'm gonna invite you into their place through persecution. You're gonna get a place in jail because that's gonna be your stage to sing like Paul did to the jailers. I'm gonna put you before hostile kingdoms because I want you to display and declare to them that there's only one king. This will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, not if, but when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of the Father speaking through you. Expectation number five, we will be persecuted because we are a follower of Jesus. This is, wait, okay, this is hard for us to comprehend in America because we haven't experienced it, but it's coming coming in fact jesus said it this way this is how it was recorded in john if the world hates you remember that it hated me first the world would love you as if it's the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it but you are no longer part of the world i chose you to come out of the world so it hates you not personal it's spiritual it's spiritual We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, principalities, powers. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me naturally. At some point when we're reading this text, we got to go, why are we not experiencing more persecution as God's people? Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. It's not personal. It's spiritual. They don't hate you. They hate the one that lives in you. For they have rejected the one who sent me. But notice, even in persecution, we are given, I love that in this text, we're given opportunity to make much of Jesus. And God will speak through us by his spirit. I do believe this. I believe I do believe that there is a spiritual intimacy that we can't understand or comprehend until we are in a position of experiencing great persecution. I believe there are Christians today in other countries that are under persecution that experience fellowship with Christ unlike anything we've experienced here in America yet. Because we have not had to rely on him for every breath that we breathe. We just assume I'm going to breathe. We have no fear. It could happen, but we have, there's nobody that walked in here today afraid that somebody's going to come in that door and arrest us, or worse, kill us, but there are people, we have brothers and sisters meeting around the world today that have that exact fear, and they sang just as loud as we sang, probably louder, and they sang just as joyful as we did, probably more joyful. Joyful. Because they have reached a level of intimacy with God, of fellowship, where they have to depend on Him for every single moment. I'll never forget Francis Chan telling the story that he sat down with a missionary, okay? And uh, they had been um, captured by the Taliban. There's like five or six of them. And they thought they were gonna die, and they were in this, they were putting this pit in the ground, and they were arguing. They were all believers, and they were arguing, not about, you're gonna go first, you're gonna go first. They were arguing about, I'm going first. I'm dying first. They were literally saying, no, I am, no, I am, no, I am. For the sake of the gospel, I will go first. They were arguing because each wanted to be the first. And I don't remember the full story, but I do know that some of them survived. And Francis said he sat down and he had a, a conversation with one of the survivors, just asking about what it's like now that he's back and he's safe. And he said he missed it because they're in, the, in that pit, they experienced a presence of God they have never experienced here. And so I'm not, I'm not saying we should pray, God, bring the persecution. I'm saying it's coming, and we should receive it, and we should look forward to the deeper intimacy and the deeper fellowship that we will have. His grace is sufficient in America right now, and His grace will be sufficient when we find ourselves in the pit fighting over who dies first. So we don't wish for it, but we don't cower away from it either. God will be sufficient for us in our time of need. Verse 21, a brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. child," We're seeing this, by the way. A a child, a children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the son of man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Expectation number six, we will experience division because we preach a divisive message. Verse 34, don't imagine that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is part of Jesus' teachings that we don't often hear. I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. And I've come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against, there's where you find it. You have all these in-law fighting. Jesus I'm the one that brought that. So you can thank Jesus for that. Listen, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And then this is where in Luke's gospel recording of this very thing, he continues, his very next remarks are this, so count the cost before choosing to follow Jesus. Count the cost because it is costly. Salvation is free. You don't do anything to earn or deserve your salvation, but to follow Jesus will cost you. But that's true of both decisions. They're both costly. One costs us now and rewards us for eternity. The other rewards us now and costs us eternally. So choose. Verse 24. Students are not greater than the teacher. Slaves are not greater than the master. Students are to be like the teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I... The master of the household have been called the prince of demons. The members, Pharisees did that, by the way. The members of my household will be called by even worse names. You will be called names, disciples. We don't go out looking to be called names. You just naturally follow Jesus, and it's coming. It's coming. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I love that. Underline that if you're in your scripture if you're into that. We are not to fear anyone that can take our bodies. Don't threaten us with heaven. All you're doing is hurting the process. And by the way, the gun won't go off, the knife won't go in unless God allows it. You can't touch me unless God allows, it, and if God allows it, who am I to kick against it? Don't threaten me with heaven. Verse 29, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your help without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my father in heaven. Expectation number seven, nothing happens to you that God doesn't give, it, give permission to happen to you. This doesn't mean that nothing bad comes our way, hello. We can testify of that. It just means that nothing can touch us that Jesus doesn't allow. And if he allows it, we look for the purpose of him allowing it. Because often, ministry flows from misery. Our testimonies only gain power from trials and testing. Look at verse 40. Anyone who receives you receives me. Anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks to God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive the righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Last expectation, number eight. When we serve others, we're serving Jesus. Look at, first, look at Colossians, I wanna to go to Colossians for a minute. 23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Jesus himself is gonna say this in Matthew 25. Verse 35, he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones replied to the Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we, Lord, when did we see you thirsty and we gave you a drink? When was you sick or when was you in prison where we could care for you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You see, Jesus tells us that these are the expectations as everyday disciples of Jesus. And if we are going to live as Jesus lived and preach what Jesus preached, we should have realistic expectations. It's not gonna all go great. In fact, chapter 10 delivers some, Pretty shocking expectations to his disciples. Like, this wasn't the greatest pep rally. I could think of better ways. <laughs> like, I'm sending you now. All right, they're gonna beat you. They're gonna arrest you. They're gonna hate you. They're gonna, they're gonna try to kill you. All right, good luck. <laughs> no, that's not how he said it, but... Chapter 10 delivers those expectations. They're not glamorous expectations. They don't give us warm and fuzzy church feelings. And honestly... It's only going to get worse in the days to come. As culture becomes more hostile towards the church, and it is, as culture becomes more hostile towards the church that stands with a holy God and against sin, we will have to choose to either remain faithful to our faith or compromise it. And we have lost families at this church because we were unwilling to compromise. And I'm under no illusion that more won't fall away as the culture becomes more hostile. I had a conversation this week at the Preacher's Conference about all of the, the leaders these days deconstructing their faith. And I and I just gave my, I, I don't think it's necessarily that they're changing their mind. I think they grew up in a, culture that was very accepting of Christianity to where they could have their cake and eat it too. And now that culture is starting to become hostile towards the church, they decided no thank you. Probably never were Christians. America just made it really easy to be a Christian in a church. Just show up. Oh you're talent you can sing. You're a worship leader. We don't care if you're spirit powered, you can sing. <laughs> oh you're a great communicator. Will you be our pastor? doesn't matter if you love Jesus and follow him with all of your heart. And now we're coming to a day where we're having to look at culture in the face and make a decision. And some are just saying, no, thank you. But the day we... I'm closing. But the day we stop, the day we stop desiring to live as Jesus lived, and we start excusing away sin, as just a lifestyle choice. It's time for us to close our doors because we've stopped being the church. That's why it's important that every week we gather together in this room and we sing songs and we read scriptures and we testify of the truth's of who God is and what he has done through the work and person of Jesus. And it stirs our affections more and more towards Christ and it encourages us more and more every day as we see Hebrews, right? Hebrews, as we see the day approaching, we are encouraging each other more and more in our faith. And so we're gonna end it today by gathering around the Lord's table to, re, to be reminded of what it cost him for us to be redeemed and accepted as his children. We talked about what it will cost us, but church, what it cost him. And so I'm gonna pray. We have a station of communion over here. We have a station of communion here. We have a station of communion there. We have a station of communion in the back. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna ask you just to, if you want to, you don't have to, you can sit right where you're at. We're gonna end with a song in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to get up, come and get communion. And then instead of going back to your seats, we're doing it totally different today. We're going to ask you to just kind of cluster up in groups. Maybe it's just husband and wife. Maybe maybe you just want to be alone and you want to do it by yourself. Maybe you want to do it as as a a husband and wife. Maybe you want to do it as a family. We have our kids in here today since children's church is off. Maybe you want to just get together in a group of 10, 12, and somebody in this group just lead a prayer of thanking God for his bloodshed and his broken body, the very costly sacrifice that he took so that we could be what we are in him, okay? And so you're going to take communion together, you're going to pray together, and then we're going to end with a song. And during that song, you can continue just to to reflect on communion. You can go back to your seat. You don't have to go back to your seat. We don't care where you go. We just want you to worship worship. Or you can just come and you can bow and you can pray if God is speaking you about something, invite somebody else to pray with you. We, we want this to be a time that we come to the table in response to the sermon, to the word of God and give thanks for the sacrifice he's made on our behalf, his blood shed, his body broken, so that we could be the redeemed, so that we could be saved, so that we can go out and be everyday disciples empowered by the very spirit of God. Father, I pray that as you look down into this room this morning, you are pleased with your people. I pray that you see Jesus and that you're pleased and we wanna take just a few moments as your family, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, and we wanna lift the cup in thanks of the bloodshed and lift up the bread in thanks of your body broken so that we could have life and that we could have it more abundantly, not just in the future, but now because of you price you've paid God may we search our hearts this morning God may we respond accordingly to however your spirit is speaking to us in Jesus name we pray